Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Burke Allen Show on the Blog Talk Radio Network live from our capital, Washington, D.C. Today, very special guest, NASA engineer Russ Warnett from Goddard Space Center. We're going to talk about the Hubble Space Telescope, uh, his work training astronauts, uh, his thoughts on NASA and, and their collaboration and sometimes competition with private space companies like SpaceX and more as we welcome in uh, Russ Warnett to the program. Hey, Russ, thanks for being with us today. Great to be with you. How are you, Burke? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's always an honor to talk to a, a guy who is much smarter and, and perhaps better looking than I am, Russ. So uh, let's get right into Uh-oh. it. You've got that, one of these resumes debatable. that people – well, I don't know about all that. You've got, you've got one of these resumes that, that is longer than my arm. Uh, if you're just joining oh. us, Russ uh, has a master's in mechanical engineering, uh, engineering administration. He's been an instructor and a lecturer at the University of Maryland, adjunct professor at the Naval Postgraduate School out of Monterey, California. Uh, and so, Russ, I, I really want to get into to sort of your background as being a guy who's overseen, you know, these these astronaut spacewalks, servicing the Hubble, and and sort of the 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 PR. Uh, kerfuffle that came up with the Hubble. You were right in the middle of all of that stuff, and you remain a huge fan of the Hubble. So was it much ado about nothing whenever the Hubble took the PR hit? No, it it, uh, certainly wasn't. It was a major error that we, NASA, made and that we didn't do what we normally do and double-check the original mirror that went up on Hubble in April of 1990. Uh, in fact, today, it's exactly 27 and a half years ago. Seems like yesterday. Is that right? But there was, oh, wow. There was, yeah. uh-huh. there was a flaw in the mirror that was not detected ahead of time, and it turned out it was too flat on the outside edges by – one-fiftieth the diameter of a piece of human hair. That's all. But when you're doing space optics, that made a big difference. So it was an embarrassment to to NASA. That, that's the bad news. And the good news was on our first servicing mission in 1993, we corrected that as much as we could because we had already been planning to send the shuttle and seven astronauts up to do what we call servicing missions. So we had an innovative fix in 1993 by putting in small mirrors, which changed the light path, and as much as we could, corrected the flaw in the optics. So that was the good news. And that was brought about because we had originally planned all along for Hubble to be serviceable. And I like to say take a partable, which really isn't an English word, 
but <laughs> I think you get the idea that parts could be taken out and as they were were needed for either new technology or wearing out or failing, we could put new parts in. So that's what allowed us to go back to Hubble in 1993 and to make that correction. Russ Werneth is our guest today. He's uh, uh, joining us from NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, and he's an educational public outreach engineer, did a lot of work on Hubble. Uh, were you one of those kids, Russ, that, that grew up looking to the stars and said, you know, one day uh, this is what I want to do, I want to be in the space business? Or how did you come to it? Well, Kirk, that's a good question. I was always interested in the space program, always interested in taking things apart and trying to get them back together to work, and um, didn't really know where I would end up. Actually, with what I keep saying, the uh, best job going for NASA, working on the Hubble Space Telescope servicing mission projects, and uh, that involved training the astronauts and building tools for the astronauts. It had to be special. So I led the teams for five servicing missions that, that did that. And I could never have guessed that I would be working on the space program and have that much pride in what our team did for Hubble Space Telescope. You know, you guys at, at NASA have been – you know, traditionally at the mercy of the politicians on Capitol Hill when it, it comes to funding. There was much talk of, of funding being cut uh-huh. in, in the previous administration. Um, I mean, as a guy who's in there day to day, you know, how does that uh, affect the morale of the folks at NASA? And, and uh, you know, was, in fact, there quite a bit of sort of fat that needed to be cut away? Or, or is NASA a pretty lean, mean machine? Well, We are a lean, mean machine, and uh, our funding over years has been pretty much the same amount of dollars throughout NASA, but not increasing relative to changes in the value of the dollar through the years. So there have been some programs that have been cut, and there are some programs that are even better. So we we are flexible. We get to do what is needed for always exploring space. We have to explore to find out what's out there and to bring benefits back to Earth. If you're just joining us, our guest is NASA engineer Russell Werneth. He's a uh, one of the big cheeses, the big kahunas when it comes to engineering the Hubble Space Telescope and did a lot of uh, astronaut uh, spacewalk training. And, and Russ, I think that's how you and I met to begin with. You did some astronaut training with Homer Hickam, who went on to, to write Rocket Boys and, and October Sky. Is that right? You guys were astronaut trainers at the same time? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, I work in Greenbelt, Maryland, as Goddard is, and Homer Hickam worked as an engineer for NASA down at Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama. So in those early years for Hubble Space Telescope servicing missions, the astronauts 
and our folks at Goddard and other folks down from Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas, would train in an underwater tank down in Huntsville. And that's where I met Homer, and uh, he was one of the divers that joined us in diving to train the astronauts to do the servicing that we had to do for Hubble. Russ Werneth, our guest today from NASA Goddard Space Flight Center uh, in suburban Washington, D.C. Um, last year, Russ, there was a, a film that, that became a huge hit, um, and uh, the movie was uh, Hidden Figures, and it, it uh-huh. showed NASA, uh, uh, you know, sort of in a, in a very uh, in a mixed light uh, in the early 60s, ultimately, I think, in a very positive light. Uh, and, and I wonder mm-hmm. what influence films like Hidden Figures and and October Sky about uh, young Homer Hickam. What, what positive influence those have on inspiring young people to get into the space race? Do you have any thoughts on that? I sure do. The, those two big, those two movies, Hidden Figures and uh, October Sky or Rocket Boys, uh, certainly influence people. The pictures. Um, the the movies sometimes take a little bit of licensing and condensing things, but basically they tell proper and correct stories that are inspirational. And uh, Rocket Boys in particular, where Homer Hickam's life is represented, uh, shows someone who did look up into the skies as a youngster and actually in the coal mines of West Virginia, he was quite unique, but he, he stood up for what he wanted to do and went on not only to become a great astronaut trainer at uh, Marshall Space Flight Center, but moved on to become a tremendous author. I think he's written over 20 books now, but the one that, put him in in his fame was either Rocket Boys or October Skies. It's changed names as as it's come out. And also it was a movie and a stage play. Russ Werneth from NASA is our guest today. And Russ, if you can hang on a second, we'll be back uh, in just a moment. And I want to get into private space flight with you, the future SpaceX and other companies. Uh, thank you so much uh-huh. for listening to the Burke Allen Show on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Back with more with Russ Werner from NASA right after this. Hang on. Over 14 million people witnessed his emotional story of survival and triumph on national television. I've been doing this now for so long, like ever since I was a kid. Millions more voted him their favorite in a landslide win. The winner is... And now you can be a part of the experience live. Land out, you Landau Eugene Murphy Jr. live in concert. Show dates and more at LandauMurphyJr.com.
It's the Burke Allen Show on the Blog Talk Radio Network. If you'd like to be a part of the program, the number to call 657-383-0491. 657-383-0491. And uh, Russ Werneth from NASA, Goddard Space Flight Center. Our guest today, we're talking all things space. And uh, there was a time, Russ, when, when every kid knew every astronaut's name. You know, the, the Neil Armstrongs of the world, the Buzz Aldrin's. That's right. There, uh-huh. There's not as much of that these days. Uh, you know, astronauts perhaps don't have the same cachet they did in the in the 60s and 70s. Uh, why is that? Why do you think that that uh, it, it almost seems rote now when when things happen at NASA and it's not quite as I don't know if the term is sexy, but quite as newsworthy as it once was. Well, the good news is that uh, we have become so commonplace that we have achievements and we do things that benefit us on Earth. And uh, it's like I'm sure when airplanes started flying, everybody ran out to see this, this new airplane. So we have become commonplace, and, uh, but we're still doing things. And we still have a lot of people that are interested And one thing about Hubble Space Telescope, over those 27 and a half years, it has brought back images that I think has revived interest in space. And uh, the upcoming James Webb Space Telescope will also do that. Uh, the, The connection that Hubble has with the astronauts doing servicing missions, I think is an extra advantage to increase the interest and the visibility for this particular NASA program for Hubble. And, and Russ, in your work with Hubble, you, um, you did a lot of, of building of tools and procedures and, and training for these, these shuttle missions uh, to the Hubble, including the one that we talked about in the last segment where they, they had to, to make that very slight adjustment that wound up being a, a really big deal what is the, the biggest challenge that, that you faced in, in your time working with Hubble, you personally? Boy, what a great question. Um, there were always things that came up during a Hubble servicing mission, and we did five of them. So we had a lot of opportunities. As much as we plan ahead and we think about contingencies, there always seemed to be, like Murphy's Law, something that we didn't expect. And we, we didn't call them problems. We called them challenges. So we got busy on the ground to solve those problems, challenges, and to relay what needed to be done up to the astronauts for the next day they went out for their spacewalk or their EVA, which is extravehicular activity. So challenges were um, putting on the power control unit, which I had an astronaut tell me, you'll never be able to take off the, the old one because there's just not enough room. Well, that was a challenge. We figured out a way to do it, and we did it successfully. And that's just one Russ example of where. And, and, and I'm sorry, Rusty, I didn't mean to cut you off. You, 
you <laughs> spend your life overcoming challenges uh, at NASA and, and trying to figure out a way around things. And now there's a, a new breed of of space pioneers. Probably the the one with the most uh, name recognition is Elon Musk and and uh, uh-huh. SpaceX. Uh, that organization um, uh-huh. as a NASA guy, how do you feel about uh, the privateering of space? Is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it a mixed bag? Well, I, as an old-timer at NASA, initially we had – my group had some uncertainties about it, but I'll have to admit that it brings in competition among the private companies. They are force multipliers for us, and they're doing what NASA has as its mission objectives. So I, I think it has turned out to be a, a great thing. And what do you mean by forced multipliers? Well, instead of NASA and and our contractors, as we've done in the past, uh, we now have additional folks out there, additional companies with their own objectives, meeting the objectives and goals of, of NASA. So they essentially are what I call forced multipliers, uh, adding to to what we do. Got it. And uh, Russ, if 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 you could, uh, you know, crystal ball it a little bit, and let's say you ran the show, you were the next director at NASA. Uh, what's <laughs> what's the big goal? What is what what should NASA really be trying to do to to inspire Americans' imagination, or maybe to to just really accomplish a concrete goal? Is it? I heard somebody refer to NASA not too long ago as, as sort of a rudderless ship. I mean, should we be trying to get back to the moon? Should Mars be the next thing? What what should be the next big thing for NASA to, to tackle, in your opinion? Okay, I see it on two different sides, since I, I am a telescope and spacewalk eccentric person. Uh, the telescope side is the new telescope that we'll have in early 2019, James Webb Space Telescope. And that has the advantage that its mirror is six times bigger than Hubble's and that it can see further back in time and further back in space. So that's an area of discovery that will really be one of the directions that NASA is heading in the future. And there are other programs that are ongoing with telescopes also. Uh, The difference between the James Webb Space Telescope and Hubble Space Telescope is that Hubble was designed to be serviceable, to be reached by the shuttle and the astronaut. So we were able to maintain it and to improve it over those 27 and a half years. With James and I might point out that the Hubble Space Telescope is 340 miles up. Now, in comparison, the James Webb Space Telescope, when we launch it, will be 1 million miles away. Now, that means that we have no way to service it. So that presents the challenge that it has to be built right, it has to be tested, tested, and retested to make sure that there's enough redundancy, circuitry, procedures, and mechanisms to allow it to work a million miles out because we won't be able to get there to service it 
like Hubble was designed for, and we did five times. Yep. So that's a challenge on one side. Now, on the other side, from a bigger picture viewpoint and further out in time and and uh, NASA's missions, is we are planning to go back to the moon. And you, since we know so much about it, since 1969, we have men on the moon. We have had – I'm sorry. We've had six missions to the moon. We've had 12 men on the moon. We know a lot about it. We've explored it, and we uh, can use that as a send-off point to go further in space, and NASA's mission is to ultimately go to Mars. And you're all in for that. Mars is is where you think it needs to be. Yes. Uh-huh. Give me a – got 30 seconds left here. Give me a time frame. When do you okay. think uh, – humans will set foot on Mars? Is that in the next 20 years, the next 50 years, the next 100 years? Uh, I would say within the next 30 to 50 years. That's that's my personal opinion. Fantastic. Russ Werneth uh, filling us in on the James Webb Space Telescope, which is going to make uh, Hubble sort of look like a pea shooter, it sounds like. And uh, Russ, appreciate you sharing some time with us today. Russ is with Goddard in uh, suburban Washington, D.C. And really appreciate your time today. Thank you, sir. Okay. Thank you, Burke. You bet. Our guest, Russ Werneth with NASA. What an interesting, interesting conversation. Interesting guy. What a fascinating career. Thank you so much for listening wherever you are in the world. Appreciate you being here. Now, go out and make it a great day.